so far as loneliness is concerned, you see, I think myself that it's about perhaps the worst uh, form of human suffering. The speaker, as you will have realised, is an elderly man. But loneliness is by no means the prerogative of the elderly. You are how old? Seventeen. You live at home? Yes. What sort of family have you? Um, well, there are seven in my family. Three brothers. Three sisters, sorry. One brother and myself. Um, Your mother and father? Yes. How many of those are living at home with you? Um, well, just one sister. I've got two other sisters married and a brother. So at the moment you have your father, your mother, a sister and yourself? Yes. You're working? Yes. And what do you do in your spare time? Well, I've got night school on Monday, Tuesday and Friday. And, um, well, the other nights I just make some sort of recreation for myself. And what do you do? Um, well, mainly in odd dance. The pictures are similar. That seems to me a very full sort of life, but you find time in all that to be lonely? Yes, well, behind all this, I've just got that particular feeling. Can you explain it? Um, well, I feel that I, I, I haven't got something that I should have, or, or somebody that I should have, and I feel this particular person could do more for me than I'm doing myself. You say you haven't got something that you should have. What do you mean by that? Um, well, what makes a person happy? Something that makes a person feel better. You feel you're missing something in life? Yes, I feel I'm missing something that, that, I, that I shouldn't be missing, actually. Can you explain, possibly, or can't? Can you explain what it is? Have you any idea what this is that you feel you're missing? Um, well, I, I can't exactly say what it is till I find out myself, you know what I mean? But you did say a moment ago that you felt if you had someone else that you might find whatever you're looking for more easily. Well, yes. I imagine I, I'm doing things to uh, make myself happy that somebody else could do for me better than I'm doing myself. As far as I can understand you, what you're saying is that you feel you're missing a great deal in life because you've no one to share experiences with. Yes. Um, I've quite a number of friends, but uh, even although when I'm with these friends, I, I feel completely isolated in a world of my own, uh, quite lonely and just feeling completely different to my friends. Do you think this might solve itself when you find a girlfriend? Have you one? Um, I haven't. I had a girlfriend some time ago, but I just didn't feel we were right for each other, so I uh, let it go. But um, in the future, I will think I'll just wait and see what will turn up. And this feeling of loneliness, does it play a large part in your life? Do you have a lot of it? Um, well, at certain times, if I'm in a particular mood, I find it just completely overcomes me, what unknown to my family and my friends. What does it do? Depress you? Make you bored? Or yes, uh, but it doesn't really show on the outside of me, just to myself. I haven't told many people about it because I felt that I, it would just clear itself up, just like you say. With me listening to these recordings is a psychiatrist. Before we hear any more, perhaps you'd like to say something in general terms about loneliness as a human problem, Doctor. Loneliness is a problem that we frequently meet with in patients, and it's spread through all ages, children, adults, and old age. With children especially, it's the only child who feels lonely. I am, I am one of those who see that 
He grew up sheltered from the world as an only son, consequently was spoiled, and knew nothing about it until I had to. And then I assure you, I paid a very bitter price for my experience. Parents often do their best for lonely children, for single children, to make them happy and spoil them at times. But children need other companions of their own ages, and it's not unusual for a lonely child to develop an unseen companion to play with, who fills the gap of the absent child. Sometimes it is that parents are too often absent and leave the child too much to themselves. On the other hand, some children get too much attention in the form of too much scolding, and there's too much severity in the home which leads to further unhappiness. Is there any particular age, Doctor, at which loneliness is a very special problem? No, I think it occurs at all ages. There does seem to be definitely in childhood a period when all children go through a period of isolation. And later on, I think very frequently one finds it in teenagers that they become separated from their companions and they retire into their own shells. And then in middle age, very frequently, when people start to find their powers are not as good as they used to be, that they're not so alert mentally, they go through a period of depression and loneliness. Uh, when you are young, if you fall down today to windows or anything else, you can jump up tomorrow. You've got the natural energy of youth. But when you get on in years, that leaves you. And friends drop away, and they die or scatter, and in the words of the poet Moor, you eventually find yourself on the bleak shore alone. Old people often miss their previous companions and their relations, and they feel isolated as a result. But this is a condition which grows up gradually. Frequently they prefer their privacy to people interrupting their lives too often with well-meant attentions. And so usually they value short visits from strangers rather than long ones. Loneliness in middle-aged people, and even in younger ones too, is often an expression of depression, deep inner depression, in which the person feels isolated, so isolated that they feel quite cut off from other people. I always remember one girl saying that she felt that she was walking around in a glass box. She felt so isolated from people. And this form of loneliness with depression is due to illness and very frequently leads to the person doing things which they would not do ordinarily. Sometimes they drink too much. They find if they visit places where they can get company, alcohol goes with it and helps to get them out of their depression. Were you always lonely? No, I wasn't. I only come lonely when my mother died. She died a long time ago. Were you left absolutely alone then? I was. No, my father was with me. We two would live together, but I don't see him very often. He is but out a good deal, is he? Well, I see him in the morning, breakfast, and don't see him again till next morning, because... I come in the evening, it's something I hate coming home. I never like to come home from my house because there's nobody there to greet me. So I just uh, try to stay out as much as I can. 
staying. When I come home, I'd get ready and go out. Go into a pub, get the press probably. I usually do get the press because I can't make friends. Like, just can't, I can't uh, be like everybody else. I keep thinking that they have someone to go home to. Like, and I wish I was and lonely as like I am. But it's the way it goes. I can't help it. It's very depressing. Oh, very depressing. I wish it would never happen. I wish I could get out of this stage. And I used to play football one time and I can't play anymore. just don't feel like it. You've no interest? No, because when my mother was alive, she used to say when I come home, well, how do you do? Do you win or do you lose? We'd have a laugh over it, but can't come up well. Go home now, come home. And uh, get that question asked. Nobody there to ask it. My father's how in bed then. How long, how long have you been in this state? Oh, about two years, two and a half years. It doesn't get any easier, does it? Not really, no. Um, sometimes you meet a crowd of lads and where they'd be happy, a lot happy. But then you leave them and you go back into your old stage, be lonely again, until the next time you see them, probably a week, fortnight. That's the way. Does it tend to make you drink more than you would? Oh, yes, I've been drinking very heavy since my mother died. I drink every night, try to make friends, make uh, a conversation, but sometimes I make none and feel worse, depressed. More than lonely, it's more depressed, you know. Do you see? Do you see any hope of this situation ending? Well, the only way is probably get married and something I'm not ready for yet. And don't know what's going to happen now. You know. Do you think that uh, loneliness is a factor in alcoholism? Yes, I do. From my experience uh, in listening to other members of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, sharing their experience experiences at these meetings of ours, uh, yes, I am quite convinced that it is a factor in alcoholism. Do you think there are many cases where people are driven towards alcohol by loneliness? Yes, towards alcohol, but I wouldn't say towards alcoholism because I believe that uh, we are alcoholics before we ever take a drink of alcohol. It's only an imitation solution, of course, isn't it, because you come back to loneliness eventually. Yes, well, peculiarly enough, uh, at the beginning it is my opinion that the uh, alcoholic gets relief from loneliness uh, when he starts drinking, but later he avoids uh, company so as to continue on drinking because he appears through his excessive uh, drinking to have uh, built a sort of barrier between him and normal drinkers. Did you find loneliness any sort of factor in your problem? I suppose I drank the first day because I was really lonely. I found it difficult to communicate with people when I left school at first. I had friends, all right, but... You couldn't well, get through to them as yes, easily as you would like yes. to. Well, when I, I found it when I drank, my spirits rose and I was able to communicate. Your inhibitions vanished. Yes, that's right. But then, but at an early stage, drink caught me, we'll say. Yes. And eventually I wound up far lonelier because I had no friends. None at all. I mean, no one would drink with me. I got a bad name, we'll say, and no one would drink with me. Or and you, you weren't bothered with people who didn't drink? No. So, in fact, you were isolating yourself very formidably? Yes. Were you, were you aware of that? Did it bother you, this lonely situation? It did. It bothered me all the time. I mean, I knew I had no friends. That meant, well, I was lonely. And... I got bitter. 
So it's, it's no solution to loneliness? No, it is no solution to loneliness. It makes it worse, actually. I can say that when I started drinking first that I wasn't lonely, but as, as my drinking progressed, I, I did get lonely. And even in a bar that would be crowded, I would still feel very lonely in myself. But I drank more to try and, and, and um, forget this loneliness. But of course it only made it far worse. Up to this point we've been dealing with a rather special, almost clinical form of loneliness. Here now is something which illustrates a degree of loneliness which, though short of the clinical, is undoubtedly extreme. The speaker is a middle-aged woman, highly intelligent and gifted, who came to Dublin some time ago to live, for the first time in her life, alone. She left a large family, children and grandchildren, of which she had been the centre, and a full and busy life, mainly in order that her children and grandchildren could get on with the business of living their own lives. She was anxious, above all, not to be any sort of burthen to them, and so she started a new and solitary life. And very soon... I reached a pitch of loneliness uh, where sometimes I didn't speak to anybody for days. Days are a long time <laughs> not to speak to anyone. I said five days is a long time, four, three, two, one day is a long time. You can have too much of your own company. Um, it reached the pitch last Christmas. I was going away for Christmas. I was lucky. But on Christmas Eve, it was a Saturday. I hadn't spoken to anyone all day. Not anyone. And in des desperation, I went out to the local pub at 11 o'clock at night. I thought, I must see people and I must talk to someone. It was, were, it was packed. Or families and parties and things, I did find a crippled woman sitting at the table by herself and I joined her and we talked. And I think she had gone out for the same reason that I had. And as we were talking, a man came over to me, a nice looking man, and said, you look very lonely. And I said, well, I am, yes. He said, would you like to have a drink with me and my wife? Well, I couldn't answer. I really couldn't. And tears came in my eyes. And he said, you're not crying, are you? I said, no, no, I'm not crying. Thank you very much. No, I won't have a drink, but thank you very much. <laughs> and then I went home and I felt much better. This speaker had been looking forward to being alone, free from involvement, so that she could get on with her work. She's a writer. You didn't find in the beginning that you could do, fill up your time with the work you were hoping to do? I did do it, but the not talking to anyone really kind of froze my brain. I couldn't even think. All I could think was I had just had nobody to talk to. It's a negative thing, loneliness, and yet it can become a very positive thing. Very positive. Something real. And, and, I said to myself, well, you really can have too much of your own company. It doesn't do you any good. Loneliness doesn't occur only towards the end of married life. It can sometimes start almost as soon as the honeymoon ends. 
I discussed this point with a young woman, now no longer lonely since she has a growing family to keep her busy, but who had had some experience of this rather special kind of loneliness. Do you think it's true that there is a good deal of quite important loneliness to be found in newly married women? Yes, I do agree, and I think that this is due largely to the fact that when one has left work where one has had much companionship, and particularly female companionship, and these girls have all had interests in common, and you suddenly find yourself alone with nobody to talk to and nobody to share your point of view, or to discuss the latest fashions, or makeup, or the newest film, or the latest boyfriend, and you suddenly find yourself with nobody at all to even say, what time is it? You've been looking forward to being alone together, and now, in fact, you find yourself for many long hours alone, alone. Alone. <laughs> yes, this is true. And, of course, this depends on one's outlook of marriage beforehand, and um, very definitely one is left alone. You're looking forward, perhaps, also to weekends when you can have a marvellous time of freedom. Do you find that that, in fact, works out so? Um, no, very definitely not. I think the weekend, more than anything else, is a severe disappointment. Um, it has always been, for uh, the working girl, very much a time of enjoyment and social activities, or dance parties, or games, and now you find that your single friends are no longer uh, contact you because they think, oh, she's happily married, she doesn't need any parties. And, uh, of course, this is precisely what one would love to be doing, and you may get invited to a party, but um, you find that perhaps your husband is golfing, and Sunday afternoon, Saturday afternoon, and there's still the dishes to be washed, and still the lunch to be prepared, and, well, nothing doing. <laughs> the situation must be very bad for a girl who leaves perhaps a small town in the country and comes to live in Dublin where she knows nobody. Yes, and also uh, art to go, as you say, to go to the city or from the city to England where she knows nobody and has no uh, immediate contacts. And her husband, he hasn't changed his work, he is still continuing the same type of work, but she has radically changed her whole way of life. And she does need both advice and comfort and... She Somebody may, to chat to, in other words. Yes. She may, in fact, be suffering quite genuinely and quite severely, but the consolation is surely that it doesn't last. Yes, I think that the temporary aspect is an important one to remember, if one can, while feeling very lonely, that um, it, it is not in, in itself a tragic situation and that times will change, particularly if the husband himself is cooperative and wants to. Um, assimilate his wife as much as possible if, into his activities. If he either understands or can be made to understand. Quite, <laughs> yes. Talking as I did to so many lonely people, I became increasingly aware that while a desire for companionship was one of the most common and powerful ways in which loneliness expressed itself, there were many other feelings involved, sometimes unknown to the sufferer. And one of the most important of these, it seemed to me, was the need to be needed. I think that when I came here, I had broken off from being the center of a busy household where I was needed. I ran the house, did the cooking, did everything, and did my own little writings at the same time. And when I came here, nobody needed me. I... I um, I cooked for myself, I cleaned my house, I, and I felt 
that it would be so much more if I could be doing it for somebody else as well. We have seen quite often in this programme that solitude is not needed to produce loneliness, nor is lack of occupation. One thing which will produce it almost unfailingly is lack of companions of one's own educational background. I asked a clergyman of the Church of Ireland whether this was not a situation in, in which priests of whatever church were peculiarly liable to find themselves. I think so. It's particularly it's of no great importance with the city clergy because they have plenty of other clergy to knock around with just as it's of no importance with people in colleges uh, in places of that kind. But the country rector, I'm speaking for my own church, it would be true of other churches too, who may find himself in a parish as almost the only person of an educational background of secondary school, possibly even, and certainly of university, of course. We hope this pattern will change, but I'm talking about the actual facts of the situation we are living in. Now, every now and then, most of us want to talk to somebody, and a farmer may very well want to talk to people about crops, about perhaps new interesting farming experiments. A man with a different educational background will, without being an educational snob, want to talk to people who have passed through a somewhat similar experience. Now, such a man, if he is the priest or minister of a small country parish, may very frequently have nobody of this kind to talk to at all. This is particularly true in the case of the minority churches. Even when there are those in a parish with whom the priest or minister would be happy to associate, the situation is still not simple. All clergy, without distinction of church, uh, have sometimes to be careful if there is somebody in the parish who perhaps has some common interests with them and they get too close, too friendly with them, there can arise certain jealousies. But on the other hand, since I have this medium, I would appeal to all laity of all churches to try sometimes to help their clergy uh, to come into the community, particularly people who might have some common non-ecclesiastical influence, uh, sorry, not influence, interest <laughs> with uh, their clergy. To remember, in short, that the clergy too are human. To remember that they are human, because if a man is too lonely, it may turn him, let's be honest about it, rather peculiar. Quite independently, a priest of the Roman Catholic Church echoed the previous speaker's point about the need for a minister to remain at a certain remove from his parishioners. Thinking back now over my own life, I suppose a priest finds himself in a parish uh, where every parishioner has got to mean the same thing to him and it means, in fact, that he's got to keep himself to a certain extent aloof. N not in the sense of locking himself away from the parish, but that he's got to have a certain reserve uh, whereby he doesn't 
become more friendly with one group in the parish rather than another. There is the situation too where the priest suddenly finds himself transferred from a busy parish to a very lonely one. Yes, indeed, this is something that I can say a great deal about. Because uh, when I was ordained, as any young man who is ordained uh, goes out to begin his life as a priest full of wonderful ideals and all the rest of it, I found myself immediately after ordination in a busy city parish in London, in England. And I thought this was wonderful. Uh, plenty of work to do. This was really what I was ordained for. Then, having spent a few years there, I suddenly found myself in a very remote country parish in Ireland, and the contrast was rather shattering uh, from the very beginning. Uh, I remember very distinctly the first Sunday I spent in this quiet country parish. I said Mass and suddenly found that this was all I'd got to do on the Sunday. Didn't know what to do, uh, sat down and read a book for a while, just, uh, got fed up of that and, and uh, really uh, felt this was not what I was ordained for. I remember going to bed for an hour and got up just as uh, fed up as I was before. And uh, eventually, in the evening, now in London, there would have been maybe a dozen baptisms to do, there would have been evening devotions, a sermon to preach, and so on. There was nothing to do in this place. So I uh, went off three or four miles to my parish priest and simply told him I, I couldn't stand it any longer. I was just fed up. So he was a very understanding, human kind of man, so we sat into his car and drove off to a village five or six miles away and uh, had some refreshments. But then this got me over that first Sunday, but as a long-term solution to the problem of loneliness in a country parish, it simply doesn't work because it's far too dangerous a line to take for any priest. Then there is the question of availability. A priest must be available to his parishioners at all times. In giving this service, he may find himself with long, empty hours to fill. Was this, I asked, a problem? Yes, this, this is a problem. Now, um, in a busy city parish, of course, uh, it isn't a great problem because there's always work for him to do. But in the backward country parish it is a real problem because he simply got to invent work if he is to keep his sanity and I often feel that uh, the priests who are most admired uh, are usually the busy priests the priests in town and city parishes to my mind the priests who deserve our admiration far more are the priests who hold the fort in these quiet places and who have to rely on their own resources to do something useful. Uh, as I say, they, they, they've got to invent work, they've got to invent something useful for themselves to do, and this, this is quite a challenge to any young man. And um, I have the greatest admiration for a great deal of priests, particularly in country parishes here in Ireland, who prevent themselves from going to seed, which could very easily happen. Uh, simply because the, they're able to fall back on themselves and 
this, I think, is a far greater challenge than the challenge to the man who is complaining about being too busy with too much to do. Occupation alone, as we've seen, even occupation of the most selfless kind, is not enough to keep loneliness at bay. Here, for example, is a woman who leads a full and active life of service, yet loneliness is not unknown to her. She is the matron of a home for incurable invalids, which is situated in a very isolated part of the country. I asked her whether this isolated situation subjected her to loneliness. It does. It creates a loneliness that I have never experienced for the, uh, the reason that I have always been in um, a more populated areas and it's a new feeling altogether, this loneliness that one can suddenly become aware of, that in getting out of the atmosphere of illness, to get out, the village itself is isolated. It's a very small, sparsely populated area all around. The village is very, very small, and one has no nothing to distract one. You go out to get away from illness. And you, I, you suddenly become aware that there is a loneliness. That you're away from all your usual contacts, but um, I... You, you're missing people also. Missing people, oh. yes. Missing personal contacts. Um, you're off the beaten track here. Uh, not convenient to one's own friends, not convenient for them to come either, and... Um, and so you're, you're driven very much in on yourself. Yes, yes. You become, you become introspective too and wonder, have you done the right thing? I've thought that many times <coughs> since I came here in the last month. Have I been wise? <coughs> wise to come here or wise to, in the work you're doing? Have I, no, I'm, I, I feel quite all right about the work I'm doing. No, wise uh, to come to such an isolated area. One can be driven in on oneself and become very introspective, which is not really good for one, is it? It's true, Doctor, that this great need to be needed is felt at all ages, is it not? Yes, and the loneliest people are the elderly who feel themselves unwanted. The world is such that it really doesn't want people who nowadays, in this selfish world, people like us were more or less in the way, and people don't want to be bothered with us. Well, I don't have many visitors, okay. I can tell you. No, not when you're old and an no. invalid, you don't have many visitors. People don't come to you? No, they do not. But you would like to see more people? I would like to see anybody come in. When you lose those that understand you, you're driven in upon yourself. Now, I, for years, I have left the places I was stopping in because I couldn't stand the confinement and the depression. And I had to return to what I left, to live on my thoughts. And on, on memory, which is a ruinous life for anyone. You see, and you would be surprised that even in a city like Dublin, you can be as lonely in the centre as you would in the desert Sahara. Your loneliness, I think, is far more apparent in a city place than in a country. One thing that surprised me, rather, 
I noticed in the homes of many of the lonely people to whom I spoke, radio sets. And I asked them about listening to the radio. I thought they would do a great deal, being alone a great deal. But so many of them said, no, we, we, we don't bother, we don't listen very much. Now, that seemed to me very odd, because even I, if I'm alone at home, I, I tend to switch on the radio purely for company. Is there any explanation for that, Doctor? Yes, I think there is. When a person is very depressed, they do not concentrate well, and they find it difficult to concentrate on the radio or even on television. They find that their thoughts uh, are so... Scattered? Not so much no. scattered, they're so tied in on themselves that they can't, as it were, externalize their thoughts, and they're not receptive to ideas coming from other people or particularly from the radio, where they have to concentrate on what is being said or concentrate on listening to it. They're afraid of the effort, and therefore it's easier not to switch on. It's easier not to switch on, and even when they do switch on, they pay so little attention to it that it means very little to them. Would you think it a good suggestion that people who do find themselves a great deal alone in that way and who have a radio, would it be worthwhile for them to make the effort to switch on and try to listen? Would that be good or bad, in your opinion? I think it would certainly be good. I think it, was, it would help them tremendously if they could. But, of course, the best that can be done for them is the company of somebody else that is easier for them to face, easier for them to get companionship in that way. As we have seen, loneliness is something that plays a part in very, very many lives and that may afflict, and I think afflict is an admissible word, anyone at any stage through their lives. It's an affliction which, to those who do not suffer from it, may seem trivial. Those who do suffer from it know that it can be very painful indeed. Doctor, is there any effective may I say, cure or treatment for loneliness? Can you suggest anything to those who are suffering? Well, this can only be accomplished by activity and occupation. We only gain happiness by making someone else happy. We're seldom aware of happiness at the time, but we are acutely aware of loneliness at the time. So try to share one's loneliness with someone or something else two-legged or four-legged. Even planning pleasure for someone else helps to conquer loneliness and a feeling of isolation and the feeling of being necessary to and being needed by some other being or group gives a person confidence to carry on. But now you are no longer lonely. What has happened? What have you done? Well, I have a friend who is in touch with many people who are far worse off than I am. Not because they're as solitary as I am, but because they're ill or they're, they're poor and without things. And they need a lot of help. And she has roped me in and I am helping them. And it has orientated me and made me happier here because I'm doing something for somebody else. It's put me back on my feet again that I'm needed by somebody. So that it is possibly true to say that loneliness is a very great affliction, but quite often there's a good deal of selfishness in it. Yes, you're quite right. I think that um, 
to begin with. Here, I probably was pitying myself too much, and also probably a little shy myself, but I think it was self-pity. And when you start and see other people are much worse off than you are, you don't pity yourself so much, but you, and, and suddenly you find that your life is fuller. So for some people, the answer might well be to stop being shy, to stop being sorry for oneself, and to go and look for ways of being of service. Of service to somebody, you're quite right. And, and to help people who are worse off than you are, because after all, I'm not badly off. It naturally isn't possible to sum up in a few words a subject so vast and so universal as loneliness. The two important things that may be said briefly are, first, that loneliness is largely self-producing and, therefore, the very best method of attack on the part of the sufferer is the cultivation of new interests and, in particular, interests which involve service to others. Secondly, the best way in which to help people who are lonely is to provide them with company, but this doesn't just mean dropping in for half an hour every fortnight. It's much more difficult than that. To be of real help, one must be available always, so that those who are desperately lonely may be aware that there's someone to whom they can turn with the certainty that they will never be rejected. That is what is important. Difficult, certainly, even heroic, but infinitely worthwhile, don't you think? <laughs>